Good morning. Seven past the hour at Faith Radio. I'm Bill Meyer. My guest, Bill English. He is the founder of BibleandBusiness.com, a business consultant in the Twin Cities and around the globe. That's right, around the globe. <laughs> so how's the Billinator this morning? I'm, I'm doing well. <laughs> okay, so in the last month or so, you and I have had uh, several conversations about the intricacies of family-owned businesses, yeah. your expertise. Yeah. Here in the Twin Cities where Faith Radio is based, there is a court case in the news right now. It involves several siblings who own a large grocery store chain. Uh, tell us about the Lund family and their little tiff. And their little tiff. Well, first of all, uh, let's let's just realize that the first papers were filed in court in on December 8th, 2014. So this is not a new story. Uh, there were two, for those who don't live in the Twin Cities, uh, there are two main upper upper scale grocery store chains, Byerly's and Lunds, L-U-N-D-S, Lunds. And Lunds bought Byerly's. And so now it's one upper scale grocery store chain. It's called Byerly's and Lunds, or maybe it's Lunds, Lunds and, and Byerly's. Byerly, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I got to do my research better, don't I? And um, the eldest sister, this, this uh, combined grocery store chain is owned by four siblings, uh, I presume each of them own 25%. Some of it, you know, it's all in trust. The stocks are in trust and those kinds of things. I'm not going to get into the details of the trust and all that. The eldest sister wants to have the other three siblings buy her out so that she can engage in philanthropy. She's 57 years of age. She's asking for $80 million. They do $660 million, uh, a year uh, in, in gross revenues. And so I doubt that they are doing $80 million worth of profits every year. This is probably much less. Uh, court records show that each of the siblings got $2.7 million in a, in a pre-tax distribution. Uh, of course, they had to pay taxes on it, but uh, still, you know, they're, they're at least getting rough. The, the corporation's throwing off at least 8 or $9 million enough in dividends, yeah. in dividends to pay the uh, siblings. And so she wants $80 million. The uh, uh, corporation is saying no. The other three siblings are saying no. It's only worth $21 million. Hence, we're in court. And let's mention that her brother, big brother, is the CEO he of is, the corporation. Well, her little brother. She's little brother, the eldest. Yeah, her little brother is the, uh, is the CEO. Uh, now, this is one of those situations where, and we've talked about this before, family dynamics um, can get in the way of, business practices. Oh, yeah. One, one of the saddest things about this case mm-hmm. is how the fight over this company stock appears to be tearing the family apart. Uh, and I'm guessing in your consulting work, that is a story that's far too common. It is very common. Uh, I, just in the last year, I've worked with two different companies where uh, problems with the finances in the organization or the need for uh, either control or or money or something has literally driven a wedge between the siblings to the point where you now basically have two separate families. And it's almost like the Palestinians and the Israelis. They may have to be together at certain times, but they don't like each other and they don't want to associate with each other. And the wedge is so deep that you just don't see how it's ever going to come out, even to the third or fourth generation. Mm. The, I know one of the things that came out in court, uh, Kim, the eldest sibling, the one who wants the stock uh, buyout, uh, basically said she, she's no longer invited to family functions. Her kids are not able to spend time with their, their aunts and uncle and 
Uh, that's just tragic. It really is. And, and it's the kids that get caught in the middle on this because if they're young enough, they don't understand why Uncle Trey doesn't want to spend time with me. Or maybe Uncle Trey does want to spend time with him but just can't stand to be in the same room with Kim, his sister. Mm. So, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is a classic case. And, and by the way, the fact that it hit the courts means that it was mishandled. Uh, these kinds of things should never land in court with the right counseling and the right uh, trusted set of trusted advisors. These things should be uh, negotiable and um, mediated, solvable yeah. and mediated and all that outside of court. So the fact that this is in court is in and of itself uh, means that something went very wrong with their trusted advisor circle. Um, I would just say this. When you are at when you're in the last moments of your life and you're on your deathbed, and you look back over your life, are you really going to give one horse's patoot whether you kept the corporation in the family or not? Mm. Are you really going to care that you are the greatest philanthropist in the world? Is it really going to matter? The things that matter most in life, money can't buy. And I would just say... Uh, to both of these parties that you guys need to uh, get on your knees before the Lord and figure out what's really important because making sure that the corporation is in the family control doesn't matter nearly as much as as maintaining a relationship with your sister. And to the sister, I would say, becoming the greatest philanthropist in the world and wanting to give all this money to all these other charities doesn't matter one whit if you don't have a relationship with your siblings and your family. That is so well said. And what's interesting, um, Bill, is the judge has really taken on the same philosophy. Yeah. Uh, the judge hearing the case actually had some biblical wisdom to share with the Lund siblings last week. What did she say? Uh, the judge quoted from the book of Matthew, actually from the Sermon on the Mount. She says, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, we know that that comes from you know, you've been set, you've been told not to murder, but I tell you, even if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. And then she went on to, to uh, uh, do another quote here. Family life, I like this, family life is too intimate to be preserved by the spirit of justice. It can be sustained by a spirit of love that goes beyond justice. That's Reinhold Niebuhr, a yeah, Christian is. theologian. Wow. You know, it's, it seems to me, you know, if I was in that position, and maybe I'm I'm being uh, overly Pollyannish about myself, but if, if I was in that position, I'd rather give up the business than give up my family. But uh, you know what? Both of these, both sides, I want what I want, I want it now, and I'm not going to budge, and I'm too blasted stubborn to uh, to see a different viewpoint. Mm. By the way, we've mentioned before, Bill is an expert on consulting family-owned businesses. If you are involved in a family-owned business, maybe you're one of those owners, maybe you're an employee at a family-owned business and you're dealing with some of these uh, convoluted issues because of family dynamics, uh, Bill would love to talk to you. Here's the number, 877-933-2484. You can actually ask uh, Bill, the business consultant, a question, and he's not going to charge anything. Free advice. From the guru of family owned <laughs> businesses. I'm going to charge you, Bill. You're the All guy right. who pays the Thank bill. Thank you. <laughs> 10 cents. 877-93-FAITH is the number. 877-93-FAITH. Give us a call and if you've got a question for business consultant, Bill English.
Welcome back. 17 past the hour. You've got the Faith Radio Network. I'm Bill Meyer. My guest business consultant, Bill English, the founder of BibleAndBusiness.com. Mentioned that Bill is willing to answer your questions about uh, family-owned businesses or small businesses in general. If you are a business owner or involved in management, uh, especially if it's a family-owned business where there's some maybe some interpersonal conflict going on because of the family members, as we've been discussing with the Lund family. In the, if you're not from the Twin Cities, you're not familiar with this grocery store chain. I think like what 15 locations or something, something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah Lund, Lunds and Byerleys, uh, these two grocery store uh, upper and high scale grocery stores came together a few years ago. The siblings are battling over um, stock issues. One sibling wants her brothers and sisters to buy her out, and they say no. Um, Okay, Bill, uh, here's a question for you. Yes, sir. Are there some practices that can be put in place early on in the life of a business that can prevent something like this from happening to another family? Well, the, the core problem here is a problem of the heart. Both of them want what they want, like I said before the break, and they're both too stubborn to give up on it, right? And 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 what they want is mutually exclusive. They both can't get what they want in the way that they have framed it. The one thing that I would suggest that they do here that they probably didn't have was that within whatever the buy-sell was between the uh, siblings, that the formula for calculating the value of the stock was probably not prescribed in the buy-sell. Or if it has been prescribed, it's being um, ignored in the lawsuit. Okay, you got you got to back up a minute. The buy sell. You're basically I'm saying sorry. how how the company values its stock. So the, so a buy sell. It's also called a shareholder agreement. If if you and I own shares in a in a company and I decide that I want out and I can only sell to you, we should have a predetermined agreement that says. Uh, yes, I can force you to buy me out at a certain discount, and here's the formula for uh, deciding what my stock is worth, and then here's the payment plans uh, that that you can leverage because you probably aren't going to have the cash to buy me out directly. And that's oh, the big right issue away. here is that they she wants her money, but the the other siblings are saying, look, if we we pay you eighty million dollars. It's going to hurt the company. We've got to take out loans. We don't have that kind of cash. Exactly. And from what I can tell, the the crux of the conflict is the value of her stock. She's saying it's $80 million. They're saying the other three siblings are saying it's 21 plus change million. And uh, it just seems to me that had whatever agreements they had in place way back when in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever these were created, if they had put together a formula that said, here's how the stock is valued and you can't deviate from it, and everybody agreed to that, then we wouldn't be having a problem valuing the stock today. Got it. Okay, switching gears for a moment. Yes, uh, sir. There is a new survey out on small businesses, small business owners. Yeah. Uh, and it showed many of them are, are actually not very confident about the economy right now. What are they saying? Oh, just the opposite. Uh, this is from the National Federation of Independent Businesses. This is their small business economic trends for January 2017. They do this survey every month. Uh it's it's interesting. It's really a mixed bag. Uh, on on one hand, the small business owners are saying that they uh, do they expect the economy to improve? And that's actually forty eight percent are saying no. We don't expect the economy to improve. And yet twenty five percent of them are saying now's a good time to expand. Okay, you got to help me understand this. So they say <laughs> the economy's not doing so good. We don't really see great things in the future. But now's the time to expand. If I'm a business owner. 
I, I, and I think we've talked about this before, what you typically do in a case like that is you, you save up your cash if you think that things are not going well. So they must have some, even though they're saying they don't think the economy is headed in the right direction, they maybe they're not doing what well, they say they really believe. I, what's going on? If there's 48% that say that they don't expect the economy to improve, then that means there's 52% who are expecting it. Well, I thought it was improve. only like 30% said they, they expect the economy to improve of the, of the numbers, and there was some that were kind of undecided. No, current job openings is at 31%. Oh, okay. But uh, look, I think that this is a better uh, optimism survey index than what we've seen in the past. These numbers tended to be higher on the not wanting the or not expecting the economy to improve, and I'm going to expand. Those numbers were lower. So we're seeing those numbers start to moderate in the right directions. And I think that is almost entirely due to um, Donald Trump being elected president because uh, the economy really hasn't changed that much. Uh, since the election, the underlying fundamentals haven't changed. They're just anyways. thinking of the uh, the re- rollback of regulations and a more uh, friendly business climate. It's, they're really looking towards the future. Look, any anything a president does today uh, relative to the economy is probably not going to really hit the grassroots for nine months. Hmm. And so there's no way that President Trump has done anything today or up to date that has directly affected the grassroots but it's all about expectations. Now, there's another economic report out showing retailers yeah. are purchasing more wholesale goods. What does that tell you about where our economy might be headed? Well, this is actually some good news. Uh, and, you know, we get a lot of bad news sometimes. This is actually some good news. This is the December uh, 2016 report from the Census Bureau. It's the monthly wholesale trade sales and inventories report. So they actually do two parts. They do a part on the wholesale sales and the wholesale inventory. So these are the people who sell to retailers. Okay. They make the products in the factory and then they sell them to Walmart. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So if the the inventories are up 1% in January over December, but they are up uh, 2.6% in January, or I'm sorry, they are up 1% December over November of last year, and they are up 2.6% December over December of 2015. So based on the yearly rise, we're seeing the inventories rise. Now, why would we see inventories rise? You don't build inventory unless you expect sales to go up. Well, look at what's happening with wholesale sales. The sales were up, revised from November to December just of last year, were up 6.8%. And then uh, if you looked at uh, the uh, from, from the 2015 level, it was 2.6%. So uh, the sales are up. A wholesale sales are up. Wholesale inventories are up. Who's buying the wholesale inventories? Retailers. So retailers are stocking up, getting ready for a surge in sales. So they're optimistic, obviously. These big retail chains are thinking things are going to improve. I think they're thinking they're going to improve a little bit or else they wouldn't be spending money on inventory. Hmm. Look, one of, the, one of the best ways to burn cash is to buy inventory that doesn't sell. It just sits there in your warehouse. Oh, you you yeah. do not want that. You want your inventory to turn. Hmm. I have some widgets in my warehouse if you're interested. They've been sitting there for a while. Have they really? um, (laughs) I'll stop over this afternoon and take a look. Thank you. Bill English, our business consultant here on the Faith Radio Network. If you want to get in touch with Bill, especially if you're part of a family-owned business, uh, where do you go? Uh, They can just go to bill at bibleandbusiness.com. The and is A-N-D. So my email, bill at bibleandbusiness.com. And check out that website for some great articles to apply your faith to your business practices, bibleandbusiness.com. Thanks, Bill. You bet.